Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. We're in part uh, three of our series, uh, Investigation. Um, if you've missed any, I encourage you to go back um, on our website and check out some of the, some of the sermons that we've already done. Um, each one is kind of building on, on itself, so if you missed any, then I encourage you to do that. So um, I get invited to a fair amount of things. Um, maybe it's my role as a pastor that I get invited to a lot of things. Uh, maybe it's because um, I have a lot of longtime friends that are all mostly local at this point, um, and they're all having kids, things like that. So, um, so for, for that reason, I get invited. Maybe it's because of my great personality. I get invited to a lot of things. That might be it. Yeah, yeah some of you are like, nope, that's definitely not it. Um, so um, here's some things I get invited to. Um, I get invited to a lot of birthday parties. Um, me or somebody in my family gets invited to a lot of birthday parties, as in, like, uh, friends that will invite us, or they have kids and they invite our family, or my kids get invited to other kids from their school's birthday parties. And um, the best thing with those parties, and also the worst thing is, if you have kids, you know this, the best is when you go to a birthday party and the parents just say, yeah, you can just drop them off and leave. And you're like, thank God. I don't have to sit here and make small talk with people. I don't know anybody. Um, but the worst is when they say, no, you got to stay. So then you got to sit around and, and try to find ways to talk. Anyways, maybe it's just me. Um, but birthday parties, I get, we get invited to those. I get invited to church events a lot. And I don't mean like our church events. I get invited to any church events around. I think people think, he's a pastor. He's got to love going to church events. So all these churches and all these pastors will invite me to their events and um, I, I, I appreciate it. I don't want to go to all these church events. You know what I mean? I want to go to our church events, um, but I, I don't have time to go to everybody else's church events. I get invited to people's houses. I like going there. Um, we get invited to double dates and, and, and triple dates and things like that. I love doing that. Um, I get invited to Sykesville things, um, and the reason why is because um, we do a lot with the Sykesville Parks and Rec. Any big event they do, we're, we're there. And um, myself, I am on the Sykesville Parks and Rec board. I help them with some of that stuff. Um, and I'm a pastor in this community. So whenever they need to like check off a box of like, we need somebody on this committee, they, they look at me like, he's a pastor and he's on the Parks and Rec. So we can check off two boxes um, with just having him. And I'll go and I won't say anything because everyone's a lot smarter than I am. And if you were here last week, um, you realized that when I didn't know the difference between uh, lions and tigers. So, um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's great, because now you, now you respect me a little more. Uh, but anyways, so I get invited to a bunch of things, and sometimes, um, and, and you can relate to this, because we all get invited to plenty of things. Life is so busy for all of us. Sometimes I get invited to something that I really don't want to go to. And, but you know what? I decide, you know what? Maybe I have, maybe I have to go, because I have to. It's a birthday party, or I decide, you know what? I have to go to this, so I decide to say yes. And even though it's something I did not want to go to, and I decide to say yes, and I actually go, sometimes I go and I'm like, oh, I'm really glad I went to that thing that I did not want to go to. I'm really glad I still went to it. And uh, there's, it's happened to me many times, but there's this girl that it happened to, um, and I'll tell you the story. She, this girl that I know, she was working at her job all day, very long day. She finally gets home, and she's wanted to relax. And her roommate uh, was going to a housewarming party that night, and she didn't want to go by herself. Her roommate knew the people that owned the house but didn't know everybody there, so it was like, please, can you come with me to this party? Um, and this girl I know didn't, didn't really want to go, but she decided, okay, you know what? I'll go, but I'm not dressing up, number one. I'm, not, I'm just going like this, and I'm just sitting on the couch. I'm not talking to anybody. So she decides to go. Um, her roommate drags her, and she goes there, and she's sitting on the couch just while the party's going, and she looks at the steps, and she sees this guy walk down the steps, and she notices him, and that guy notices her. So that guy goes over to her and starts talking to her, um, and just they start talking about their work and, and things like that, and they have a very easy conversation, surprisingly a pretty good conversation. Eventually that guy got her number. They go on a couple dates. 
then eventually um, they break it off for a second, but then they go back out and then they date for six months before they're engaged for eight months after that. Then they're engaged for eight months, they get married, and 11 years later, my wife and I have been married with three kids for 11 years, over 11 years. She went to a party she did not want to go to at all. And she went, and she's, I'm, at least I'm, I hope she's happy that she went because she met her future husband. Sometimes, sometimes you don't want to do something and you don't want to be somewhere, but when you say yes to it, it actually changes everything. It changes your life. And some of you that are here today, you don't really want to be here. You, you thought about sleeping in, you're, maybe your spouse made you come, or your parent guilted you into coming, but, but you're here. And I don't, I don't say this much, but maybe today this is somewhere that you actually need to be. Um, we're in part three of our series, like I said, Investigation. Throughout this series, we've been looking at a couple things. We're looking at a book from uh, The Case for Christ. We've been using seminars from Frank Turk and N.T. Wright, and there's a sermon series that we've been using by Andy Stanley, um, and we're going to use a lot of that today to look deeper into what we believe as followers of Jesus and why we believe it. Because here's something that we've been asking each week, a question that we've been asking, and if you've been here, you know these questions, but here's the question. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four that record Jesus, his, his story. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, not end, or, because if any one of those four are a reliable account of actual events, of th- things that actually happen, that has a lot of implications for you and for me and for our world. Two weeks ago, we learned that Luke, we've been looking at Luke a lot throughout this series, and we'll continue with Luke today. Luke said that he, he researched all this, he, he talked to the people that were there with Jesus, and he carefully investigated everything Luke did, and he gives us an account of this Galilean carpenter who turned into a rabbi who was eventually crucified as a criminal that Luke believes actually came back to life. So he records in the book of Luke and the book of Acts the story of Jesus. And the reason why he and so many other people took the time to, took the research to, to make up this account, which cost a lot of money back then, the reason why he did that is because something good and extraordinary happened that needed to be recorded. Luke believed along with many others, that this, that this Jesus guy actually died and actually came back to life three days later. So it had to be recorded, which brought us to our question that we are wrestling with throughout this entire series that we're going to answer on Christmas. And here's the question I want you to wrestle with until we get to, I said Christmas, until we get to Easter. Here's the question. What if this Jesus stuff is true? What if it's true? What if all this stuff we read about in the Gospels is actually true? What about the stuff we read about in Luke, the story of Jesus? What if it's actually true? What would that mean for us? What would that mean for you? Last week we looked at uh, John the Baptist, and we talked about how important it is to not just believe in this stuff, but to actually do something with what you believe, um, to do something with your belief. What you believe doesn't matter if you're not going to do something with what you believe. Today we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you go up to Luke chapter 4. Uh, we'll be in chapter 4 and chapter 5 today. We're going to start in verse 14. And again, Luke is just continuing the story of Jesus. Based on what he carefully investigated, here's what he researched to be true. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. At this point, the, the word of Jesus, the news of Jesus is starting to spread to everybody. Like, it's getting around all this stuff Jesus is doing, and the healings he's doing, and the teachings he's doing. It's starting to get uh, spread around to everybody. Verse 15. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. I always find this interesting because Jesus was likable. 
Like, people actually wanted to be around Jesus. And he would treat everyone with dignity, even people that the rest of culture would say doesn't deserve it. He would treat everyone with dignity and respect. He would bring people that were poor up. He would bring the sick, and he would be around them. He would be around people that, that were not like him at all. The only people that actually really didn't like Jesus was the self-righteous religious people. That was the people who didn't like Jesus. Everyone else seemed to really like him and go towards him. And from there, Luke tells us about how Jesus goes to the synagogue. And, and Luke says that Jesus goes to the synagogue as was his custom. And I'm just going to throw this out there. That means Jesus, the Son of God, consistently went to church. That means that we should consistently go to church. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, while he's there, he's handed this scroll. He's handed this scroll from, from the prophet Isaiah. And as you would, he starts to read it in the temple. And here's what he starts reading. Um, it'll be in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops reading. He wasn't done what the scroll said, but he stops reading here, which is not the right spot to, to, to stop reading. And then it says a little later on, in verse 21, Jesus ends this part by saying this, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, it is fulfilled. He goes on to talk about how there was no prophet that was ever accepted in his hometown, um, that really all that, that they wanted Jesus to do was to heal people and do all these miracles, but he, he wouldn't do it. What is he telling them at this point? What he's telling them is that he is the Messiah that everyone was waiting for. He's the one that has been prophesied about. If you read the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies of the Messiah coming and what it would look like and, and how, how it, would, it would come about. And Jesus was the one that's going to answer all of those questions. It's going to be the one that they've been waiting for. Now, when we read the Bible, what we often do, we think of the Bible as one just big book. That's really not what it is. The Bible is a library of books. That each different book of the Bible is a different book. And in the Old Testament, we see these prophets, and, and they foretold, they foretold the various signs and conditions of when the Messiah will show up. And, and we know through textual criticism that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was completed around 450 B.C., was finally completed by then, meaning that it was written, the Old Testament, we read that, was written um, hundreds of years before Jesus actually shows up. It's important to understand that. And in the Old Testament, there are 300 prophecies that talk about the Messiah. 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfills all 300 of them, which to us, that's like, all right, cool, that's, that's not that interesting, that's fine. But what you, we don't understand is how impossible this is that one person would fulfill all these prophecies. Let me give you some math here. And before I do this again, last week I showed up one very smart. I checked this math with a smart friend of mine in Texas to make sure, like, this math right, correct? Oh, not Frank, by the way. Oh, I looked at Frank. It wasn't him I checked with. Um, I checked with somebody else. Um, but I checked and to make sure this math was right, and they said it was right. So, okay. Um, here's the math. For one person to fulfill eight prophecies, just the eight big prophecies that are talked about in the Old Testament, it is one in 10 to the 16th power. That is one followed by 17 zeros. That's the likelihood of one person in history fulfilling just eight of the major prophecies. Here's what it would be like. It would be like if you took the state of Texas and covered the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep. And you took one silver dollar and you put a little mark on it and you got a blindfold person and you said, hey, you're blindfolded. Go find the one silver dollar that we marked in Texas that's two feet deep. That would be the likelihood of a person fulfilling eight prophecies. Eight. What about 48 prophecies? 
one person fulfilling 48 prophecies, that is one in 10 to the 157th power. No idea what number that is. That is 158 zeros followed by that one. Here's what it would be like. Here's the analogy. It would be like you would take 10 to the 157th power electrons. You press it into a solid ball. When you did that, it would fill up the entire universe. That's how big it would be. Then you blindfold somebody, and you tell them to find the one electron that you put a mark on it. Not that you can do that, but imagine that. That's what it would be like. And that's just 48. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, all of which were written way before Jesus even showed up. It is mathematically impossible for somebody to do that. Here's how Peter Stoner, who's the, the mathematician who, who um, did all this research, here's how he says it. The quote will be up on the screen. To the extent, then, that we know this blindfolded man cannot pick out the marked electron, we know that the Bible is inspired. This is not merely evidence. It is proof of, of the Bible's inspiration by God, proof so definite that the universe is not large enough to even hold the evidence. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any fact in the world. So Jesus reads his prophecy, and he tells them, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Um, and then from there, um, the, the, the religious people do not like that. They actually kick him out of the temple and kick him out of the town. Um, and again, news continues to spread. At this point, news spreads to this guy named Simon, who we later know to be Peter. But he's Simon at this point. And Simon uh, takes Jesus, and he's heard about Jesus. He's heard some teachings. He invites him into his house. And, and Luke tells us that when Simon invites him to his house, they eat a meal together. Jesus notices that Simon's mother-in-law is sick, so Jesus just heals the mother-in-law. And G Simon sees that. It's, it's amazing. And all this healing happens. Again, Jesus keeps healing people, and the news about him continues to spread. And that's where we pick up in uh, chapter 4, verse 40. It says this, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. When you read Luke, you're going to keep seeing that Jesus keeps healing people, any of the Gospels. But I don't know, maybe it's just me, maybe it's not you, but when I read these, these stories of um, Jesus healing people, this makes me not believe the Gospel of Luke as much. It's just me. Because it makes it seem like, is he like a superhero? Like, how, how, does, this, how does this work? I mean, I've watched... I, I get through in bad YouTube algorithms, and I will watch videos of, of these big televangelist preachers who do these healings, and basically how you know that they're just, they're just pretending. Um, there's, this, there's one where they will hold the guy's leg, and so it's, look, your leg, this leg is shorter than the other. I'll heal this for you, and he extends the leg, and it's just a magic trick is all that is. There's no one I watched um, that a televangelist was out, and he was um, calling out someone, just saying someone's random name, and they would raise their hand and be like, and you're suffering from a back illness or something like that, or, a, or your back's hurt, whatever it is. And they would go, yeah, it is. How do you know that? Like, like he's getting this from a prophecy from God. And they find out later that he just has something in his ear, and his wife is, on, is outside reading from the prayer cards that everybody filled out before they showed up, just saying, say this person's name and say um, that their back hurts. And they say, oh, you're healed. And that's what they would do. All these, all these scams. So when I hear healing miracles, to me, healing miracles don't make the gospel more believable. More believable. It actually makes it less believable. And not just for us. It makes it less believable to everybody in the first century who's reading this. They, they were highly superstitious, but they weren't stupid. They knew that you couldn't just heal somebody. But you know why Luke keeps putting in here that Jesus keeps healing all these people? Not to make the gospel more believable. Because that's what happened. 
he has to record what happened. So he has to put these healing miracles in there because that's what Jesus did. But it really shows us something that I think we miss a lot when we read these healing miracles. We just kind of read past them. But here's what it tells us. The focus of Jesus' ministry was not what he taught. It was who he claimed to be. What Jesus taught was amazing. It was amazing. He taught lessons that every civilization that's built built the civilization on his teachings and on his values is better because of it. That the civilization, civilization runs better, women are treated better, children are treated better, the poor are treated better. What he taught was amazing, but that wasn't the focus. See, back then, if you were, if you were sick, um, they believed you were sick because um, you did something wrong, your parent did something wrong, or someone in your ancestry did something wrong. So basically, if you were sick, you deserved to be sick. That's what it was. Some kind of sin happened that you deserved to be sick. So, so when they were sick, that's what they believed. Jesus shows up and he, and he starts claiming that he can forgive people's sin. He can forgive their sin. And that's great, but anyone can claim that because how do you really even know that? Anyone can claim to forgive sin. But Jesus then starts healing people, people that everyone else would say deserves to be sick because they sinned. Jesus starts healing people. What is he doing? He is showing everyone that he is actually capable to forgive sins because he's also capable to heal people that everyone else would say is sick because of their sin. If he isn't who he claimed to be, we shouldn't listen to him. If he isn't who he claimed to be, then what he taught doesn't matter. There's a very famous um, saying from C.S. Lewis that says he's either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. You've probably heard this. That means that Jesus either is a liar, that he teaches all these great things, that's great, but he's also lying because he says he's the son of God. He's either crazy because who would say you're the son of God? If I taught great things and I did a lot for the poor and you said, why do you do that? And I said, well, it's because I'm God. You would say, you're nuts and you shouldn't listen to me, right? Or he's what he actually claimed to be. That's the three options we have, liar, lunatic, or Lord. So after Jesus has a meal in Simon's home, he heals more people, he, he goes alone to, to pray and then the crowds show up and then here's how Luke records this. We'll be in uh, chapter five, verse one. Here's what happens next. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. When we see the word of God, we think the Bible, right? But what Luke is saying in the word of God is Jesus, that he is the word of God. Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Two boats left there by the fishermen. The fishermen, when you would go fishing back then, um, you would go at night. And the reason why you would go at night is because the water was cooler and the fish would be closer to the surface because the water was cooler. If you went during the day, the water was too hot, the fish would be too low, you couldn't catch it with your nets. So all night they would fish and now there's some, there's some boats that are left and they're, they're washing their nets, they're cleaning up, they're about to go home and probably go to sleep because they've been out all night fishing. Verse 3. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the, the people from the boat. Remember, Simon already knows. He already knows who Jesus is. He already understands Jesus is. Simon, um, Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. Um, Simon heard Jesus teach. Simon had him over for a meal. It's an intimate thing to have someone over for a meal. Simon knows who this Jesus guy is. But Simon was one of the people fishing all night. He's probably ready to go home and go to bed. He's probably ready to go take a nap. He's already cleaning the nets. He's already brought the boats in. It's a long process, but Jesus says, hey, can you take the boat out so when I, when I preach, other people can hear me? He goes, okay, fine. He puts the nets back in. He takes the boat out. Verse uh, 4. When he had finished speaking, he being Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water 
and let down the nets for a catch. What was Simon just doing? Fishing. You know, at the time you're supposed to fish. At night, when it's easier to fish. And they caught nothing. It was a whole night they went fishing, didn't catch anything. Now this Jesus guy says, hey, let's go fishing. I, would, I can imagine Simon's like, what are we doing? And in fact, Simon starts to say in verse 5, here's what he says. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I can only imagine, and I'm just more reading into this, but if I'm Simon, here's what I'm thinking. Jesus, listen, you're a carpenter. If I need a table, I'll call you, okay? Jesus, if I'm sick, you heal people. I'll call you when, when I'm sick. Um, Jesus, you're a great teacher, so I want to hear everything you have to teach me. But I'm a fisherman. I went fishing. We caught nothing. At the time, you're supposed to fish, by the way. We went, we caught nothing. Why do you think if we went back out there now that we would catch any fish when, we, when I just was out there, we caught nothing? Jesus, I'm a fisherman. And Simon would be right. Because why do you think they would catch any fish now? He would be right. All of his objections of, hey, we didn't catch anything. We just did this, we didn't catch anything. They're all right. But look at what Simon says next. And this is key. We're going to talk about this a lot. So he says, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because... You say so, I will let down the nets. But because you say so. See, Simon knows Jesus. Simon has spent time with Jesus. He saw Jesus teach. He saw him heal. He, he, Simon knows Jesus. So instead of just saying, no, it wouldn't make any sense. We're not doing that. He goes, here's my objections. Here's why we shouldn't do it. But because you say so, we'll go out. And I'm sure he's thinking, but because you say so, we can go out there and catch no fish. We can do that. But because you say so, what if this is how we thought? We have our objections. But because you say so, God, I, I don't really know what I believe. I'm not, I have some doubts, but I feel like there's something you're calling me to do. And I have all these reasons not to do it. I have all these reasons why it wouldn't work. But because you say so. God, I know what your word says, but I don't know how I feel about that. There's all these implications. It's hard to live that out. I, I know what it says, but because you say so, your response to the tension of why you shouldn't and because you said so has the potential to completely change your life. When your faith intersects with God's faithfulness, it will change your life. My guess is, if I went around the room and I asked people to tell me a time, to share a time where they went to a place or, or they had a situation where they had trouble putting their faith in Jesus, but they did it anyways, even though they didn't understand it, even though they weren't sure if they should, to see God show up and completely change their life, my guess is a lot of you have those stories. I've heard a lot of those stories. I can tell you stories that people have shared to me. If they decided to jump into a hard circumstance, because they felt like God was calling them to do it, and it completely changed everything. They trusted God when everything around them was falling apart, and everybody else say, how can you trust God in this situation? But they decided to anyways, and they got better because of it. They believed in God even when it felt like there was no reason to believe, and because they kept going and they kept consistently trying to learn more, that their faith grew more than it ever had. But because you say so. Those are the stories of people's faith changing when they take their faith, and it intersects with God's faithfulness. Jesus wasn't asking Simon to believe something. He was asking Simon to do something. 
He was asking Simon to do something that he could absolutely do. It wasn't a miracle he was asking Simon to do. He just said, hey, you know what I'm asking you to do? Get on the boat and let's row us out. You know how to do that. You were just doing it. That's all I'm asking. You don't have to believe that it's going to work out. You don't have to believe that we're going to catch fish. Just simply be obedient with your very next step. And when Simon says yes, God's faithfulness shows up and it changes Simon's life. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. This wasn't an easy process, by the way. Remember, the boats were back in. The, the nets were cleaned. They had to bring it all back out. Then you say, all right, let's go back out. It's not like you just go back out. They had, to, they had to row miles out to do this again. This was not an easy process they had to do, but because they had done so. You notice that? didn't say because they believed so, because they had done so. Following God is an active faith that engages God's activity in this life. And what happens when they have done what God asked them to do? The thing they were trying to do all night, catch fish, they caught so much that they couldn't even bring in the nets. Simon had seen miracles. He had heard the teachings. He had seen healings. He had saw healing at his own house. He had seen all these things. But now, first-hand experience of a miracle. Look at how Simon responds verse, uh, in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He saw the, the, the miracles. He saw the healing. He never called him Lord. But now, because because Jesus shows up in Simon's exact situation in an area where he said, I don't believe anything, but because you say so, we're going to go do it. I am a sinful man. Get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Why does Simon say this? Well, because back then, it was the belief that, that God distanced himself from sinners. I mean, the religious people did. The Pharisees, they weren't anywhere near people that were sick because they were sinners. They weren't anywhere near the sick people. So why should the Lord? So Simon says, hey, I am a sinful man. He fully understands. You are the Lord. I can't be anywhere near you because you are the Lord. I need to be away from you, which is show us something about the character of God that we see through Jesus. And here's what it shows us. God doesn't make us come to him. God comes to us. I've used this illustration many times, but I think it really helps us understand this. Most world religions are trying to talk about a way that we at the bottom of a mountain is trying to get to the top of the mountain. Whether it's heaven or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Here's the ways that we down here, imperfect people or sinful people or people that aren't there yet, get to the top. That's what all world world religions talk about. How we get to the top of enlightenment. Christianity doesn't tell us that. What Christianity tells us is that the God on the top of the mountain came down to us to bring us up. That we couldn't get up there to the top. That God came to us. The story of Jesus shows that not only does God not distance himself from us, sinners who do not deserve to be in the presence of a holy God, but the story of Jesus and the story of the Gospels is that the God of the universe came to us to rescue us. You can read it over and over and over. He goes to Simon on his boat where he was a sinner. The religious people wouldn't hang out with Simon, but Jesus goes on Simon's boat and shows a miracle. He goes to Matthew, who's a tax collector. Everyone hated tax collectors and and Jesus calls Matthew and then says, we're going to your house to a party with all your tax collector friends. The religious people would have gone, wouldn't have gone anywhere near that party. 
No, Jesus shows up there. He sees Zacchaeus, who's another tax collector. And Zacchaeus is up on a tree because he's a, he's a wee little man. That's what the Bible tells us. He's really short. He's up on the tree just so he can see Jesus. And Jesus sees him and says, hey, come on down. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, hey, come on down. You're a sinner. We're now going to go to church because you need to go to church. He says, no, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your house now. I'm going to come out and hang out with your people, with your friends. I'm coming to your house where you live, where you eat, where you sleep. God doesn't make us come to him. We can't get to him. God comes down to us. God has not pulled back from us, but the story of the gospel and the story that Luke records about Jesus means that, that God came to us, that God comes near to us. And when Jesus came, the religious elite and the self-righteous couldn't even recognize him as the Messiah because he was so likable and he was so close to the people that they would consider sinful. They would consider that you wouldn't be around those people. Look how, um, what Jesus says to Simon here in verse 10. That Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And guess what happens? Simon fishes for people. You, we'll read, you read all about Simon, who later says in the Peter, all throughout the Gospels. Peter eventually becomes the, the first pope. He fishes for people. Peter spreads the message of the good news until they kill him. For, for spreading the message of Jesus. And then look, the last verse we'll look at, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up, left everything, and followed him. And my guess is, if Jesus showed up in your life the same way he showed up in Simon's, you would have too. Left everything and followed him. But what did it take for Simon Peter to have this experience? He already had Jesus at his house didn't have this experience. He already heard the teachings. He didn't have this experience. He already saw the healings. He didn't have this experience. It was when Simon Peter eventually said yes to something that he had every reason to say no to. He eventually said, you know what? I will take this next step in faith that I can do it. I have these objections, but I can do it. I, I'm going to say yes to this, even though I have every reason to say no. He put his faith in Jesus enough to say this. But because you say so. You have the ability to say yes. You have the ability. And I would say, you don't fully understand, like I don't. You don't fully understand what hangs in the balance of whatever that next yes is for you. I know you have your objections. But what if we presented our objections and said, but because you say so. I'll take that next step. That's when Simon changed. Not the teachings, not the healings, not having at his house. When, because you say so, that's when it changed. These past couple weeks, I've been really thinking about um, how this church started. And I've told this story so many times, but, and you'll hear it a lot more. If you're new, uh, I'll give you little update, but um, September will be five years since we've launched Impact Church. Five years. Um, and six years ago is when we started the launch process. August of, of the launch process, we had a church that fully funded everything. I had a job. We had everything perfectly in place. Um, it was perfectly tied together. It was going to be the easiest launch process. We had a uh, church that's going to fully fund everything, pay all of our bills for the first two years. It was all set in stone. September came. Every single plan went away. I had no more jobs. Um, so September started, and we had a year to launch everything, and, 
And my wife and I spent so much time praying, so much time asking God, God, what, what's happening? And we were worried that God was saying, you know what, I'm trying to stop you from making a huge mistake because this is, you shouldn't do this, so I'm going to pull everything from you. So we prayed and prayed and prayed. We had nobody launching. We had no money. I had no job. And we were, we were living just on my, my wife's um, income as a teacher. That's it. And we're praying, like, what do we do? Should I go find another job somewhere? Should I become a youth pastor? I was a youth pastor before. Should I be a, find a church I can be a youth pastor of? What should we do? Prayed and prayed and prayed. I had friends of ours who was praying with us. And we had every reason to say no. I mean, there's a lot of worries coming in. I mean, we had nothing. We had, we had no clue how to raise money. Never done it. We had no clue what church would support us. We, we had never been part of this. I'm, there were so many things I had no clue. Even stuff like, I had to go to like downtown and like get paperwork filled. I didn't even know how that worked. I, was, I had no clue how any of this worked. But Erica and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And we told God why we thought we shouldn't do it. Then we said, but because you say so. We feel like you're calling us. Because you say so, we started the process. And then we eventually started getting more people on the launch team. And every person on the launch team had reasons not to do it. Frank and Michelle were some of the first people on the launch team. Frank was getting job offers to be a, a worship pastor somewhere. Plenty of reasons to, to not join a launch team that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know how it's going to look. We don't know how much people are going to have. We have no clue how much money. We have no money left. Like, we don't know how anything's going to work. But because you say so, they said yes. Before you know, we had 40, 43 people on the launch team when we launched in Marriottsville. We launched in Marriottsville. Um, because that's where we felt like God was calling us. And then pretty quickly on, we saw that every new person that was coming to our church was from Sykesville, every single one. And we were really plugged into Sykesville, and we weren't as plugged into Marysville. Plus, um, the rent changed from 4000 a month just on Sundays to 2200 a month, moving five minutes away. So we're like, this is, I feel like this may be what we're called to do. But I was embarrassed about it, because a year, we were, we were telling everyone, we're launching Marysville, we're going to be a Marysville church, all this stuff. And we just really felt like God was pushing us. So I had my objections because we told everyone Marysville, but because you say so, we'll make the move. And now here we are, almost five years later, we have seen so many people come into this church and have the same response, but because you say so. Because listen, if you want to find a church, you can just kind of sit and it's, it's, everything's done for you. This is not the church. This is a church that you got you to gotta work. So we all do. We have to set this up every week. We have kids up there we have to serve every week. We go out in the community constantly. We have stuff to do. This is not a church for you to sit there comfortably. This, if you want a church that you can just sit and just be fed and, and, and consume everything, there's other churches. This isn't it. That this is a church that everyone that becomes part and becomes an owner or, or joined the launch team or became part of this church had, a re, had a, plenty of reasons not to. But because you say so, and because of so many yeses from everyone, we have seen God do amazing things. And here's, I, just, I calculated this this, um, this week. Since we've been at church, and you can go look at the baptism back there, we have baptized 67 people in this church, here or at Mountain Manor. You can go look at every name. Every name that's written, out, written on that tub is someone that was baptized. All because a bunch of people said, because you say so. We almost said no. We almost decided, you know what, this, this isn't the plan for us. There's too much at risk here. I don't know if we can make it. And we had every reason to. I mean, there was worries. There were sleepless nights of, like, how are we going to pay the bills? But because you 
say so. And you have been invited to follow that same God. And I understand the worries you have. I understand the tension that you are facing. I understand the fear that you have. And you can take all those things and bring it all to God. And he wants to hear every single one of them. He wants to hear your objections. He wants to hear all the reasons why you don't think you should do it. But what if you take everything to God and then you say, but because you say so. So what is God asking you to do? What is it that is behind that, but because you say so, I will say yes to this. Maybe for you, it's a next step. Maybe your next step is to go public with your faith through baptism. Maybe that's you. Maybe that maybe you were baptized as a baby and, and you're not sure if you should do that again. And, and what we believe here is that the very next step after salvation should be baptism. That when you get baptized as an adult, it's not discrediting anything that your parents did for you. It's actually, it's actually fulfilling what your parents did for you. That maybe your next step is you've been here and you decided, you know, I believe this, but you need to go public with that decision through baptism. Maybe that's you. But because you say so, you have all these reasons. I don't want to get in front of people. I don't like water. I don't, whatever your reasons are. But because you say so, Maybe for you, your next step is joining a church. I think this is a pretty good one. Maybe it's not the one for you. And maybe for you, that's your next step. But because you say so, and I know the hurt that you have from your last church. I know the pain of your last church. I have pain and hurts from my last church. But because you say so. Maybe for you, it's, it's serving somewhere. Next week, we're going to have a whole time where you can figure out an area that you can serve. Maybe for you, that's your next step. I'm going to serve. Maybe I'm going to join a group. But because you say so, I got all these reasons why I can't. I'm really busy. I got too much things going on. But because you say so, maybe it has nothing to do with this church. Maybe it's finding help for yourself. Maybe for you, you need to go to therapy. Or you need to go to marriage counseling. And you don't want to because it's like, man, is that like, is that admitting that, that we're struggling? And yeah, it is. And I, I hear this a lot when it especially comes to marriage counseling. It's like, that, that means you're on the brink of divorce. And, my, and what I would say is, number one, that's not what that means. That just Erica and I do marriage counseling. It's, it's good for you to do it, to, to check in with people, number one. Number two, um, it's just help. And maybe for you, that's your next thing. You have all these reasons why you can't, that you shouldn't do it, that you shouldn't go to therapy, that you shouldn't get the help that you need, but because you say so. Maybe for you, you have a hard conversation you have to have with somebody. It's been on your heart, and, and you've been feeling it, and, and, and it's, it's easier just to not talk about it, easier just to sit back, but maybe because you say so. Or maybe for you, you've been here, and you've heard the teachings, and that's great. And you might even believe it, that's great too. But you've never had experience like Simon did. To say, you know what, because you say so, I'm not going to go from just believing this. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm actually going to invite you into my life, which means that I'm going to repent. What repentance means is you were going this direction, you say, you know what, I'm not going this direction anymore. I'm now going to go your direction. I'm going to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Anyone can make him Savior, but I'm also going to make him my Lord, as in I'm going to follow his instructions. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And I don't necessarily know all the answers, I still have my doubts, but you know what? Because you say so, that's what I'm going to do. So as we close, we're streaming, you can come on up. I'm going to give you an opportunity to simply respond. I'm going to ask everyone to, to bow their heads. And as I was talking, if you felt like you have a but because you say so decision, a but because you say so yes that you need to make, just that a sign of faith, we're not going to 
We're not going to make you stand. We're not going to make you do anything else. Just as a sign for you to tell God right now, God, I have all my objections, but because you say so, I'm going to say yes to the decision. I'm going to say yes to whatever my next step is of baptism or joining the church. I'm going to say yes to getting the help I need. I'm going to say yes to the hard conversation. I'm going to say yes to inviting you into my life. All I'm going to ask you to do is a sign of faith. If you have that, but because you say so, God, today I'm declaring yes, I will do it. I just want you to slip up a hand. Say, that's me. See that hand. See that hand. See that hand. But because you say so, because you say so, I will do it. Pray with me. Dear God, thank you for being the God that comes to us, for being the God who loves us so much that you sent your son for us so that we don't have to earn it, we don't have to be perfect, we don't have to be sinless, but we can follow you because you made a path for us, that you walk with us. You guys, thank you for being a God that allows us to bring our objections and bring our concerns and bring our worries to you. Dear God, I pray that you help us to say yes to whatever that decision is. I pray for the people that raise their hand. You give them the courage to take their next step, to follow you, to say yes to whatever that decision is that they need to say yes to because you say so. For us to follow you closer. In your son's name, amen. So if that's you and you raise your hand again, I'm not going to ask you to make any, come, come talk to anyone else, but I would encourage you to tell somebody. Tell myself, tell any of the staff, anyone in the blue, tell some friends or family around you what that next step is so we can help you with that next step, help you to be accountable with that. And as we close today, I want to invite you to stand as we sing this closing song together.